Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Glad to have you, whether joining us online or in person, but it is wonderful to see you this morning. I thought what we would do as we jump into a relationship series today, that maybe we would start with some classic quotes from love stories. Okay, so if you know this, you can shout out which movie it is. Now, I've, I've tried to keep you on your toes today. The first one's going to be a bit of a challenge for some of you. But let's start with it, okay? I'm going to read it. And if you know the character or the movie that it comes from, just, just shout it out, okay? Here's how it goes. And maybe it'll be enough if you know that in a few hours we had together, we loved a lifetime's worth. This is a classic. It's one of the best love stories of all time. Don't know it? That would be Sarah Connor from the movie Terminator. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, a great movie. Great. It's, it's a chick flick, right? There's a love story in the midst of it. Okay, some of the guys are like, okay, now, now I've got my mind on where we're going to go today. Okay, so let's do a little more comedic understanding, okay? Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. Do you know who said that? Wesley from The Princess Bride. Very good, very good. Okay, this one's easy. I love you. You complete me. Jerry Maguire. And that statement in and of itself probably ruined millions of marriages in one quick statement. Because I think we live in a culture that idolizes relationships and idolizes marriage. And if we were honest, even as churches, we sometimes put marriage on a pedestal beyond what it was intended for. I mean, think about it for a little bit. Maybe you've had kids, maybe you have children, and when you look at them, friends start to ask them, hey, do you have any friends? Hey, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? And at an early age, we start speaking into our children's lives this value of marriage, and that's what life is about. And it's not. I wish in some ways my parents would have sat me down and just said, hey, this is, this is what relationships are built on, and this is what matters most about relationships. And whether you're looking for a friendship or a great relationship at work, or if you're looking to step into a lifelong lasting marriage, here's what it needs to be about. But from a young age, we're almost spoken to as if we are incomplete if we are not starting out in the pursuit of marriage. And that pressure and that hope is misplaced. And oftentimes, we grow up looking for the perfect spouse, the perfect house, the perfect wife that brings the perfect life. And subconsciously, we begin to believe that we need someone in our life to make us whole. Well, what if I told you today that you didn't have to be married to be a whole person. What if I told you that the idea of marriage making you complete is a myth? What if I told you that relationships with others were never to, to complete you, but to complement you? What if I told you that only one relationship can ultimately make you whole, complete you? And until you surrender to true love with God, you'll never experience this. 
I mean, God gave us relationships from the beginning of time. We are intended to be in relationship with God and with one another. Things like forgiveness and compassion and understanding and empathy are the heartbeat of what makes us human. And God gave us relationships so that we would mature through things like conflicts and struggles, understanding of one another and the testing of time. But God did not give us relationships, whether friendship or dating or marriage, to complete us. From the beginning of time, And humanity, we understood that God created us for a relationship with him. In the opening pages of scripture in and of itself, we see God walking and talking with humanity. There's this relationship. And God desires to give humanity another gift, the best gift ever, when he decides that Adam should have Eve, a suitable helper. Someone to compliment, to partner, to work with one another. But a few verses later, there's this significant choice that humanity makes. That they want to know what God knows. That they want to have their own opportunity to to understand and dictate what life and relationships would be about. And they eat from this fruit. The knowledge and good and evil. And all of a sudden... In their rebellion, the intimacy that was intended for humanity and God to be expressed through one another is now shattered. Good relationships can happen with one another. But godly relationships begin and end with your relationship with God. If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to a passage that speaks very intently about relationships, but we oftentimes don't read it that way. Colossians chapter 3 is a passage where the Apostle Paul is literally trying to unpack what our identity should look like before God and before each other. Uh, Paul's trying to help these young Christian followers begin to say, our lives are different. Our foundation is different. The way we live this and express this life is going to be foundationally much different than the relationships around you. And so in the very beginning of Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes these words to this young church. He says it this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him, meaning Christ, in glory. In a few short verses, Paul begins to unpack this foundational perspective of every relationship begins with your relationship with God. That the way you think, the way that you feel, the values that you hold, everything that you are and all that you have begins with your relationship with Christ. If you consider yourself a Christ follower. So maybe you're not a Christ follower today. Maybe you just came because you're wanting to be better at relationships. You want some practical advice, and this will help with that. But as Christ followers, there is a different pace in our race. Uh, Commentators begin to talk about this passage and unpack what it means. And 
early on, they begin to recognize that our past is now raised with Christ. It's a pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who we were no longer has an impact on us. And our present with Christ is now hidden with him. And one day, who we were created to be will be revealed when Jesus returns. Paul's definition of true living starts with our salvation experience. That when we surrendered our life to Christ, everything about relationships changed. Our focus, our pursuit, our understanding, why people are in our lives and why we are a part of their lives all flipped. And now relationships aren't something to be consumed, but something that should complement and create character in us like Christ would create character in us. When it comes to our relationships, I think it's crucial for us to understand, and this is to our identity, how we live our lives. And what we need to understand out of the gate in verse 1 is that our past is overcome. I think many of us come into relationships with a sense of baggage. We bring all this history into a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's with our spouse, baggage travels with us. And Paul says, you know what? Your past is overcome. That in our relationship as Christ followers, if God has forgiven us and redeemed us, there is a victorious life that begins to express its character around the people that we're connected with. Second of all, he begins to talk about how our present is secure. It's this understanding that we are hidden in Christ that our our footing knows where to go. We're not slipping and sliding. We're not tossed and turned. We're not being thrown around by the ebb and flow of people around us, but we are sustained in a way that who we are today is rooted in our walk with God. But then it points to our future. Our future is hopeful. We live and we long for the return of Jesus. Now, now for those of us in the room who are not followers of God, what does it mean for the return of Jesus? Now, we, we believe that Jesus is God, fully man, fully God, that his death on the cross paid for our sins, it gives us new life through his resurrection, but that God, Jesus, is now seated in heaven the ruler and the king, the ultimate authority of everything in this universe. And one day, Jesus will return to judge both the living and the dead. Now, that, can be, that can be intimidating. But Paul is speaking it as if this longing of knowing Jesus has postured us in a way that as we are living out these relationships, we anticipate like the friend that we've always longed for coming home and sharing in this victory together. Paul's words are hopeful. 
His identity is found in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And he has a confidence to begin to speak about the kind of values and the ways that we should look at our relationships. He begins to understand that the people around us are not just people to consume or to take for our own advantage, but there is a, there's a contribution of our life to the lives around us. Sacrificial, humble relationships like that that we've experienced with Jesus. And so Paul says it this way. He begins to give us some values about what we need to think about in the way that we approach our lives. And so you ask, how does this impact our day-to-day lives? I get that my past is forgiven. I get that my present is secure. I get that my future is hopeful. But how how do I live that in the lives around me? And first and foremost, Paul says, set your hearts on things above. This is a statement of fixed devotion, as if, as if Paul is taking his heart and he's placing it out before God. Set your heart on things above. You know, making friendships can be extremely vulnerable, right? Being transparent is a scary experience. And I talk with people on a regular basis who say things like, you know, I just don't trust people. I get that. I am that guy. And what Paul begins to describe for our relationships is that our devotion to relationship would first and foremost be with the one that we can trust the most. And what's What's hard to admit is that often those of us who have a hard time trusting people would have to confess that we have a hard time trusting God. Maybe there's something that happened in your life. Maybe there's an unmet expectation in your life. But we stand in these moments with others And it reflects our fear with God. And that's why Paul describes to the Philippians, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, think on these things. He's asking for our hearts to be lifted in a way that we would focus on the true nature and character of God. Second of all, he challenges us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. This is what they would call a fixed gaze, that you would look in such a way and not take your eyes off of it. If you've been married more than 10 minutes, you know that a fixed devotion and a fixed gaze are what keep you in sync. When you're allegiance to each other because of your relationship with God and your focus to keep God as the priority in your life, that's when the glue and the synergy of your relationship really begins to foster. But Paul would would describe this to some, some Christians in Romans. He began to describe to them in Romans chapter 8 that there are those of us who live according to our fleshly desires, and there are those of us who live by what the Spirit desires. 
we live in a world that has an incredible appetite for control, for sex, and for money. And you don't have to be married, and you don't have to be dating, and you don't have to just be single to see it in every relationship in our world. You know what's interesting to me? is that people who are so consumed uh, with controlling a situation or relationship or having sex in their relationship or having power or money for their relationship, those who wrestle with it before don't stop wrestling with it after marriage. Meaning it's intrinsically connected in us that if we have this pursuit of consuming rather than this contribution, this sacrificial nature that God has to give of ourselves for others, we will be prone to live for things of our flesh rather than the things of God's spirit. And Paul makes this drastic point to say that your life is hidden in Christ. Now, when we think of hidden, oftentimes we think of shame. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not speaking of a Christian who, who walks with shame, embarrassed of who they were. This, this is not Paul talking about the life, well, before I knew Jesus, well, it was, and we roll our eyes or we speak with a whisper. Paul is talking about a confidence that he knows whatever comes around him, he finds great strength and great focus to live out his life. It's like being in a, in a shelter in the middle of a storm. Out here on the southwest side of town, um, there's, not a, there's not much to stop the wind, right? Maybe you parked in your car and you felt the, uh, the brisk breeze, we'll call it, as you walked in today, right? I mean, it just kind of just takes your breath away. And if you're not careful, it'll, it'll almost pick you up off your feet and blow you away. And there's something about when I get to my office door and I put that key in and I unlock it and I open it and I step in and the door closes behind me that I'm just like... Thank God, right? My breath returns, my heart settles in. And it's interesting. I can hear the wind, I can see the snow blow, I can feel the briskness just hitting against the building itself, but all of a sudden I take off my jacket. All of a sudden I roll up my sleeves. I begin to relax in the comfort of my shelter because I am hidden in the warmth of the building. And so Paul is describing this kind of a relationship with God, giving us that kind of a relationship with those around us. So you may have a coworker who is as evil as can be. You may have a boss who's difficult to live with. You may have a spouse who you've lost the spark with. You may have difficulty in your relationships, but you find confidence because of your nature in Christ. That whatever storm may come, whatever criticism may be thrown, whatever difficulty may come towards your life, you stand hidden in the refuge of God. A friend of mine was describing a trouble spot in their relationship. 
And what she was describing was this relationship that they've had for over 30 years. I think sometimes people think if you can make it past the first five or 10 years of marriage, you're good to go the rest of the way. And it's not true. Married for 30 years, kids that are doing well with their lives, grandkids that are flourishing, and COVID put their relationship in a tailspin. Thankfully, they began to turn to God. Thankfully, they began to go to counseling. But as she was sitting in front of her counselor, literally she said these words, you know, your heart is getting harder even though you're going through counseling. And there came this epiphany in her life that where she was standing before God and before others was not hidden in Christ, but now stepping out to the exposure of what she wanted for herself. All of a sudden, she began to consume the relationship around her, and it began to devour it. I think many of us, We look at relationships, if I can just get this friendship, if I can just have these people, if I can just have this relationship, my life is going to step in and it's going to become everything that I want. And the truth of the matter is, no matter who you call friend, and no matter who's on your arm, people fall short. It's only our relationship with Christ that makes us strong. Let me say it to you this way. Only Jesus makes us whole. Sometimes we surround ourselves with friends to validate us, to, to somehow try and add value to our lives. It's interesting. I hear therapy all the time. People can't make you angry. People can't make you mad, right? We agree with that. But at the same time, we say, but you need people who add value to your life. What? I'm not enough? Well, I know what they're trying to say. That you need to be cognizant about the type of people that you put around you to strengthen you and who you were intended to be. But it is only in our relationship with Jesus that we become whole. Trying to find the perfect friends and surrounding ourselves with people ultimately will fall short. Trying to marry someone or to make make us a better person or to fill what we're lacking will fall short. Only a growing relationship with Jesus makes us whole, even when we fall short. Followers of Jesus will set relationship goals from their relationship with Jesus. Followers of Jesus set relational goals from their relationship with Jesus. Let me give you three goals that I'd love for us to begin to embrace and unpack as a church in the coming weeks. First and foremost, I think we should be humble. The relationship that Jesus sets for us is a relationship of humility. Him being fully God took on the form of a servant. Jesus encouraged us to to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else would be added to us. 
If we learn how to be humble to recognize that we don't have it all together before God or each other, we would begin to recognize that it's in our relationship with God that we raise each other up. As a staff, we've spent some time trying to encourage each other on how, how can we begin to foster some better relationships. And so we've offered for you um, what we'll call relationship bingo. If you have your app, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open it up to the Sunday's portion if you have not. But each and every one of you have an opportunity to play relationship bingo, to find different ways to connect with new friends, new people, to begin to grow the relationships that you have in your marriage or with your loved one, uh, to begin to foster a relationship that seeks out God's best, God's first in every relationship. What would it look like if our relationships began with one another in a sense of humility above all else? Second of all, I think our relationship goals need to pursue God. Pursue God. When Paul talked to the early Philippians or the early Christians in Philippi, he would say things like, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings. To somehow attain this resurrection of the dead. He, he would talk about this pursuit in our relationship with God that was to know God personally, intimately, so that in understanding who God was, we would understand who we are created to be. And because of our identity in Christ, forgiven and secure, we might engage relationships the way Jesus would, would approach those relationships. And too many of us, we approach Jesus as the cherry on top of the Sunday, I've got friends, I've got my life, I've got my house, my career, whatever. And then, oh yeah, Jesus. Paul would say, no, no, Jesus is the entire Sunday. Your life fits in him first. Last of all, though, it would be that we should keep our foundation. We should keep our foundation. Why? What Paul tells the people in Colossae is so that we may live a life worthy of God and please God with our lives. You know, Jesus tells an illustration of uh, two kinds of builders in this world. One builds a house that when the storms come, everything collapses. The other builds a house that when storm comes, it survives. And he says the key thing is, the point is not the, 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 cra the crashing house or the standing house. The point is that the one who stands is the one who hears the word of God and puts them into action. It's the obedient life that God blesses, grows, stretches, conforms into his likeness. I think if we were honest today, we would have to say that every relationship will either expose us for who we are or it'll ultimately express the true nature of who Jesus is. Think about it this way. Think about it in your friendships. When we surround ourselves with people who think like us, act like us, talk like us, walk like us, we live a life that's in an echo chamber. Facebook is probably the best mirror for that in our world. We create a resounding experience that just reflects us. It exposes us. On the other hand, if we're the kind of people who will pursue people different than us, we become the kind of people who gain perspective. 
We begin to extend God's influence into lives and reach new worlds. We get a greater mission. We get a sense of greater belonging to the world and what God might do in us and through us. Or think about this in our marriage. I mean, there's a lot of married folks that are in this room, and there are always three things that are most common to break up a marriage. I referenced it earlier. Money, sex, and power or control. But every time I sit down in premarital counseling, I also I always hear people who are they're trying to make a priority so that their marriage will go well. They want to get their money right. They want to make sure that they're sexually compatible. They want to make sure that they do things the way they want them to do things. And it always makes me nervous. Because as hard as they fight for those things, knowing that those three things often sinks relationships, they miss the one thing that is the anchor that holds it all together, the relationship with Christ. And I can confess this because I am a guy who has been married and know that when my marriage struggles, it's when my life is about wanting things to be done my way hoping for more intimacy on a regular basis, or wishing I could spend things the way I want. And I always have to look, am I consuming my relationship or am I contributing in a life of sacrifice and humility and love the way Christ has for me? If we were to confess today, we would have to admit this, that we build our relationships on what we prioritize first. If you want to look at your relationships and ask what your friendships are about, look at the things that you're prioritizing. If you want to know what your marriage is about, look at the things that you're prioritizing. If you want to know what your family, your, your extended relationships are about, look at the things that we prioritize. Because what we prioritize is what we build our foundation on. So let's unpack this just, just a little bit further. Last week, Eric gave us kind of a, a mantra and a way to unpack Scripture, and he listed three ways to look at something. Up, in, and out. When we read this passage, we have to realize that when we look up, God knows the depths of our struggle. God knows our lack of wholeness. But out of his love and God's grace, God sent his son, Jesus, to make us whole. But when we look out, we must recognize that no one, no relationship ever makes us whole. Contrary to the advice of our culture, our media, or the things around us, we lack the fundamental ability to do so. Thus, if, if we're not building our life in Christ, we will never be satisfied, which causes us to look in. What would we say today, or who would we say we look to to make our lives complete? Sometimes, even as a church, we sometimes subtly communicate that anyone who isn't married is kind of on the JV because they're single. 
Actually, Scripture celebrates single living and the impact that singleness can have for the kingdom. But no matter if we're single or married or divorced or widowed, it is Christ and Christ alone who makes us whole. Let's move to our time of response. I think it's a challenge for us sometimes that when we think about relationships, that we pause and we go into what we call a time of communion. Literally a time where we're supposed to come together in our relationship with Christ. And I think what's a challenge for me today is that if I was, if I was transparent with myself and I look even at my marriage today, there are times I look to my wife to be my God more than God to be my God. And my wife is outstanding. You will never hear me publicly complain about my wife because I'd like to live first and foremost. But as great as my wife is, she'll tell you she's not God. She can't complete me. She can support me. Sometimes she can strengthen me. She can serve with me. But that's why Jesus gave his life. That we might be made whole to overcome the forgiveness of our sins. We might overcome with life everlasting. And in the broken, depraved nature of our lives, we would once again be restored in the creation that God intended us to have. So Jesus commemorated that moment by saying, when he took the bread on that last supper and he looked at his followers and he said, this is my body, broken for you, take and eat. It was a foreshadowing of his broken body on the cross. In the same way, he took the wine and he said, This is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. It was a foreshadowing of his bleeding and dying on the cross. There's no relationship that will ever complete you. And there's no relationship that will give itself the way Christ gave himself for you. And so maybe in this moment today, there's a great chance just to pause, to to grab your phone. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have that you want to share. Maybe there's a goal and a longing that you're in a relationship, you want to see it happen. Maybe it's overcoming the bitterness or jealousy that rages in your heart. It's an issue of control. Maybe it's a desire to trust that God's going to supply and God's going to provide. Maybe it's in a difficult longing of what you want your family and friends to become and it's not coming together. I want to encourage you to share a prayer request with us. Maybe take a next step. Maybe join a group. Maybe surrender your life to Christ. But whatever it may be, encourage you to use the app to 
to take that next step, to share on your Connect card, and to journey with us. Last of all, we encourage you to give financially. And for those of us who call First Christian Church our home, this is our chance to respond back with generosity just as God has been generous to us. To give of our gifts so that the mission of God and the love of God may be extended to the ends of the earth. Let's stand, let's respond, and let's sing.